Welcome to CSU Stories, the podcast where we tell the stories of the unique work of people in regional New South Wales and beyond. From Hollywood careers to amphibian specialists, we talk with CSU staff, students, alumni and members of our communities to share how our regions are shaping Australia and the world. Good morning and welcome to this week's episode. Today I'll be chatting in the studio with Associate Professor and leading human rights activist all the way from New Zealand, Leonie Pihama. Leonie has come all the way to Australia under the Faculty of Arts and Education Visiting Scholars Scheme. Professor Pihama is the Director of Te Kotahi Research Institute at the University of Waikato and Director of Maori and Indigenous Analysis. A leading kopapa, Maori educator and researcher, Leone works in the intersecting fields of education, health, fano, well-being, Maori immersion education, policy analysis, Maori women's issues, and the politics of representation of indigenous peoples. So, with that introduction, I say a big welcome to you, Leone. Lovely to have you here this morning. Kia ora, it's lovely to be here. So, Leone, you're here as part of the CSU Faculty of Arts and Education Visiting Scholars Scheme. For our listeners, can you tell us how this visit came about and what's been involved in your schedule this week so far? Well, it's been a really hectic, really, and busy <laughs> and incredibly engaging schedule. Um, so I was contacted by Susan um, from the uh, School of Social Work mm-hmm. uh, around the idea of a doing a visiting scholar week here at CSU and was following from Professor Cindy Blackstock being here yes. uh, last year. Correct. And so it was a really uh, exciting opportunity for me really to come to both uh, Bathurst and Wagga Wagga and to see uh, beyond Wiradjuri land mm-hmm. and to see the relationship between CSU and uh, the people of this country and, you know, to hear what you're doing and kind of get a really good sense of the relationships that we may be able to build further into the future. So Absolutely. we've had a number of really deep conversations about many topics, including Indigenous methodologies and our kind of research focus around Kaupapa Māori theory, mm-hmm. which is an Indigenous theory, and, you know, ideas for potential collaborations going forward. Great, excellent. So obviously this has been your first visit to CSU in Wagga Wagga and Bathurst. How have you found your experience so far? Well, yeah, it's my first visit really coming inland from Sydney. We have a lot of relationships with people in Sydney mm-hmm. and, you know, we have whānau, you know, extended family in Sydney. Wow. And so I've tended to come into Sydney and do work there and, and then leave pretty much. And so it's been really nice to come beyond and to come here and to see what's happening, uh, you know, a little further inland. Yeah, uh, absolutely. From, from the main, you know, from that big city. And so, you know, a number of things have really hit me. One is the kind of powerful work I think that CSU is trying to do in terms of transforming relationships with Indigenous mm-hmm. nations. That's something I've got really strongly from the the interactions and engagements that I've been really fortunate to have. You know, I've been very thankful to uh, everyone in the School of Social Work that has you know have been really active in keeping me engaged. Absolutely, and giving a really 
broad range of topics to talk about, you know, as I said, from ideas of indigenous methodologies and engaging relationships with in, in a really co-produced way, co-created yes. way between yeah. institutions like CSU and Wiradjuri people mm-hmm. and then the broader kind of Aboriginal groupings of people that live here and the way in which that can be done in uh, kind of meaningful and enduring ways because that's really the focus of our institute is we work with, our, with the, the University of Waikato has a council of uh, tribal representatives, so iwi groups, uh, right. of which there are about kind of eighteen or nineteen represented. Right. And our institute was formed by that council. Yeah. Okay. So we have a direct yeah. relationship, and the chair of that council sits uh, of that committee sits on university council. Mm-hmm. So we have a direct relationship. Yep. You know, with the both Waikato, which is the the tribal group of of the territory itself right. and uh, with other iwi or other tribal nations that have students or staff right. working in the university. So we've talked a lot about you know, how do you get those kind of engagements more enduring mm. but with institutions and more structural really so that they're kind of embedded in what the institution does and they're yep. not reliant on individuals yeah. necessarily yep. Yep. to do it. But, Absolutely. Um, so it's been really great. And through to talking about you know, how we might use social media and... <laughs> To disseminate research. Exactly. Uh, because I use a lot of social media it's, myself. Yeah. And you talk about structure. What do you think is key for structure? Is it education primarily or, or where does it go beyond? I think what's key is about having deeply embedded relationships that are are located in the structural relationships mm. of the institution and the systems of the institution. Yeah. So that means thinking about how the relationships between people of this country, first and foremost, mm-hmm. are forged and how they're reflected in the various layers of the institution. Right. So you have the obvious ones around the staffing. So what is the staffing makeup of an institution? How do you provide for the curriculum needs yeah. of Indigenous students? But not only of Indigenous students, but of having all students that come on campus have an understanding of the history mm. of the land on which they are studying and then the broader history yeah. of the country in, you know, for us in a decolonised way. Absolutely. So, and that's really, you know, some people are kind of fearful of what that means, but actually that is where most yeah. countries that have a relationship in terms of Indigenous nations yeah. uh, are seeking to move to. I think there's a growing... Um, call for that. So mm-hmm. in Aotearoa, or New Zealand, okay. um, there's a huge call at the moment for more history being taught in a compulsory way in schooling. More about Māori history, more about how colonial wars mm-hmm. uh, under- were undertaken and the impact. Mm-hmm. More about Te Tiriti Waitangi, or our treaty from 1840. Wow. So these things are kind of taught, they're reliant on individuals teaching them. Yeah. They're not embedded in the curriculum. Yeah. And so there's a, a huge debate. And particularly historians are leading, a lot, and students actually, right. a mm-hmm. lot of students. So a petition went to Parliament from a group of two Māori uh, students from a high school okay. brought together all of their friends and they did a petition to wow. 
Parliament. Wow. And and that was a few years ago, and since then, the adults have kind of begun to pick it up. So now you've got a lot of historians, both, um, and not only Māori historians, Mm. but a broad, diverse range of historians saying, yes, in order to move forward in a future that works for all of us, uh, we need to understand our past. And and, and we need to understand it in a way that's about moving a forward progressively yeah so it's a huge debate raging at home absolutely uh, yeah. and the compulsory uh, you know ideas around the compulsory teaching of Māori mm. language mm. in schools is a big debate yeah. and so you know you know, I think there's that it's a, something that a lot of indigenous nations and allies are talking about and and that and the group of allies is growing yeah because I think people Realise that actually, in order to know where you're going, you have to know where you've come from. Absolutely. And, and that's all the great things and all mm. the not so great mm. things. And it's so important, isn't it? Yeah. As you said, having to know where you're co- you've come from, mm. what's your history. Mm. And you mentioned, Leonie, before social media and sort of dispersing this information. Obviously, right here in Bathurst at CSU, we're renowned for our communications Mm. degrees. How do you think social media plays a role in all of this and, uh, you know, dispersing this to our future generations? I think, I mean, we know there's a range of social media and that appeal to different groupings of people. So when my children really focus a lot on Instagram, (laughs) I I don't do Instagram. I do a lot of Twitter. Mm -hmm. We run, you know, the obvious Facebook pages uh, through our institution and personally I blog and so I think that you know one of the things we talked about in the session on social media is that it provides an opportunity I think for scholars to think about different ways of disseminating their work Mm -hmm. so we have the kind of accepted understandings around things you need to do journal articles and presentations and conferences and and book publications and you know, and they're all great, and we know that we need to be doing those to influence our own, particularly our academic discipline mm. and the field that we're in, mm. and to influence thinking about that. But, I, you know, I'm very strongly of the view that actually that just doesn't go far enough and it will never go far enough. So we do need to utilise both kind of more contemporary social media and your your kind of mainstream media, radio and television, you know, as a process of talking about our work. And one of the things we have in the legislation at home is a an expectation that academics will be critic and conscience of society. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of an interesting term. I think you have something around public good. Yeah. But in order to do that, you actually need to be able to reach a broader notion of society, mm. not just talking about this idea of a society that looks like you or sounds like you or is in your silo discipline. Yeah. So we have to really push beyond, because I think that one of the things around the kind of colonial structure of mm. institutions, particularly universities, mm. is that this remains this kind of siloed idea of disciplinarity, which is really just a constructed way of keeping curriculum kind of in these tidy, yeah. separated <laughs> modes. But actually in Indigenous thinking, there is no such separation. Yeah. And so we work kind of both vertically and horizontally across those disciplines. And I think if we're we're only talking to our own discipline, then we're not reaching out to that broader notion of what society might be. And society includes 
you know, diverse groupings of mm. people. So my thing is we're, we really just can't be talking to ourselves. Exactly. We need to be yeah. talking beyond that. And yeah. so things like blogs for me I think are really good. We, we do webinars. Yeah online that go out and we often will do them in the context of working with a community organisation so mm. the last ones we did with a group called Te Matatini which is a mental health organisation right. and so it goes out to all of their followers right. and yeah. and that's really what we're trying to do because we're trying to reach a much broader community. Yeah. So, Leonie, back to what you've been up to this week. Yep. You've already delivered a public lecture in Wagga Wagga which covered the topic of Kaupapa, an Indigenous theory of transformation. And this afternoon in Bathurst, you'll be talking to historical trauma, Maori and healing, the impact of family violence. Can you provide a little bit of an overview about each topic and how you deliver this through your public lectures? So in Wagga Wagga, we, uh, the focus really was on kaupapa Māori theory, and it's a theoretical framework that was born out of the kind of education movement, initially in terms of Māori education and what we call kura kaupapa Māori, which is a kind of Māori philosophy of schooling through the Māori language. And so kaupapa Māori is a Māori theoretical framework that really engages some fundamental principles around how we can think about the world through a Māori lens. And they're very broad principles. Mm -hmm. So what it does, it enables people to kind of drop down those principles into more detail in ways that are appropriate to the topic or the research that they're focused on. Excellent. So it's really been about... For one, I think the development of that theory was about creating space, creating theoretical space within our disciplines to say, well, actually, imported theories, you know, may be useful to a degree, but actually to understand what's happening in Māori communities, we need to understand it from a particular cultural framework as well. And so it really was based on the work initially of Graham Smith and Linda Smith, who advocated both Kaupapa Māori theory and decolonising methodologies mm-hmm. from the 80s through. And so we've really grown. And it's not, a, there's a there's an overarching theoretical framework, but underneath that, like any overarching theory, there are a whole range of kind of variations or renditions of that. So, when, for example, if we talk about critical theory, we're mm-hmm. talking about many versions and many approaches under that umbrella. Right. And so it's similar with Kaupapa Māori theory. There are a number of approaches that sure. fit under that umbrella. So it was really around saying to our students, one, our ancestors were always theorists. Mm-hmm. Theory may not be our word, but the action of explaining, analysing, thinking about, framing, understanding, describing, all those things that are a part of what a theory is, mm-hmm. we've done always. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so to to then say, so what are the ways in which we did that? What were the principles that underpin the way we did mm. that? Mm. And it's the same with research. And Linda Smith in her book, Decolonising Methodologies, talks about how research was considered as probably one of the most dirty words in, in many Indigenous communities. Right, OK. Yeah, because yeah. we've been researched on. Uh, yeah, OK. OK, yeah, so, yeah. which is the kind of objectification of Indigenous people mm. from the gaze of others right. and from the view of others and from the analysis of others yeah. and the explanation of others. Yeah that are often very disconnected Mm. from actually what is happening in our communities. So really trying to kind of 
reshape and say, yep, theory was fundamentally a tool of colonisation, mm-hmm. as was research. And we've got lots of examples of that, yeah. how research and theory were used to justify the disposition of land, yeah. justify the degrading of Indigenous people. There are many examples of that. So how do we then turn these processes, which we know, we know we've always done, mm-hmm into something that's more applicable and useful and framed within the Indigenous framework. So a lot of the conversations we've had in the past few days have been around how do we do that? Like, so how, how does our institute do that? How do we think about that? And it's still in progress. You know, it's evolving, but it's very much an organic process, and mm. so it continues to evolve. And, and how may that be relevant yeah. to the work that um, CSU's doing and that people working within mm. CSU are thinking about? And I think really the baseline we've ended up with, uh, you know, that institutions need to have really embedded enduring, meaningful, structural, as well as personal relationships Mm. with the communities upon whose land they're built. Absolutely. And when we do that well, everything else falls into place. Mm. The family violence work that we're about to do, it's a four-year project. So we've done one part of the work around historical trauma, now we're looking at a contemporary experience. Okay. And so all of the providers, Māori service providers and tribal providers that we're working with, you know, it was their view that we needed to, one, get more information about the extent of the issue mm. because we really don't know. We yeah. have a lot of people saying it's a really big issue mm. and we know it's a big issue, but we don't actually have any you know, meaningful data or information to tell us how big an issue it is. So one, we need to understand that, and two, we need to understand how how organisations and communities and whānau, so extended families themselves, are healing that in their own ways. Mm. So it's kind of moving out of the mainstream idea of other other people controlling your healing back into how can we control our own healing. Yeah. And so that came from those providers that we'd worked with in the previous work as the next question. Okay. And then my job is to find how do we fund that question? Yeah. How do we fund that? And and fortunately, we've been able to... took a couple of years mm. of, of doing it, but now we have a four-year MB, which is Ministry of Business, Innovation yeah. and Enterprise wow. grant. Fantastic. To, to do that work. Yeah. yeah, and so that's the next stage of the work. Are the communities talking to each other about this? Yep. Yeah. 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 So often something will pop up in one, because the thing about, say, in family violence prevention and intervention, and there's a, a group of Māori providers and a group of Pacific providers, and non, they all know each other. Right. They all know each other because often they are sharing services mm-hmm. and they are talking to each other about what they have to offer. Mm. So no matter what the relationship is, they know yeah. who else is providing in that community. Okay. So they will talk to each other Great. in their own communities. Mm-hmm. But also they all know who are the lead organisations in other communities. Right. So okay. they all know each other. I mean, the thing about Aotearoa is that, you know, we're, we're a small mm. population comparatively. Mm. I think we can fit in one of your cities. <laughs> uh, and, you know, so the, the networking and the knowledge of each other, even though we may not have met each other, we're aware of each other's work. Yeah. And so 
So that that happens mm. all of the time. Yeah. And, you know, the thing around how questions evolve or issues evolve, so even in that context, there are a whole range of other things that have come up. Mm. So one of the things that I've been charged by one community to look at is this idea of decolonising emotions. Yeah. And people go, what is that? Yeah. And, and, and it came really out of a couple of things, but in terms of the community context, one of the providers saying, one of the things that come up with many women is that I, even after all of this violence, they say, I love him. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm. Or he loves me. Mm. And, 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 and he'll do certain things to indicate that he loves them. Yeah. Putting you know, brackets around that yeah. <laughs> and, and And, you know, we want to know what that's about. Like, yeah. What does love mean in that context? Yeah. What are we saying love is in yeah. that context? So I said to her, well, the word we use in Māori language often for love is aroha. And that's only one definition of it. That can be a whole range of things. It can be caring and empathy, and there's a whole mm. range of things that mm. come with that word. Mm. So it's never just a single word. And actually, it's like the word aloha in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. That gets really commercialised as this Valentine's Day love. Yeah. And so the same with our term. It gets constructed as love as being about chocolates and flowers on a particular day and Hollywood relationships and which are generally pretty bad through the movie. You know, those kinds of constructions of love. And and it doesn't matter what anyone what they do to you the other, you know, three hundred and fifty odd days of the year, as long as on this day they give you flowers. Mm. You know, so it's kind of weird construction we have about this idea of love. Yeah. And so I said, Well, let's look at the idea of Aroha, what does that tell us? Mm And the the term aro is to turn mm-hmm. to someone. Okay. The term ha is to breathe. Yeah, okay. So it's actually to share breath. Right. To turn and share breath. So so in this conversation we're going, mm-hmm. so if you're sharing breath, which is life, with someone or others, yeah. do you beat them? No, of course you don't. Gosh. There's nothing in that concept that indicates any form of... Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it's all about sharing life. So what do you do when you share life? So it was, it's kind of got us into this, it's a long-winded answer, but it's got us into this idea coming from that one question mm. about what's happening in their yeah. practice. Yeah. Uh, this idea of actually that the bigger picture is not just about what is happening here. The bigger picture is about what is a healthy relationship, how do we have an emotional way of dealing with these, mm. and how are emotions constructed in the world. And so there's not a lot of work done in that area, particularly for Indigenous people, yeah. but there is enough indication to say that that ideas of emotions are culturally constructed. Yeah. And therefore, if they are, that means they can be colonised. Yeah. And if they are, I think we all have an issue. <laughs> I mean, I do. Truly, I though. Think we all Honestly. have an issue because yeah. how do you construct healthy relationships when your fundamental idea about how you interact with someone is really, you know, has all of these kind of patriarchal, heteronormative, Absolutely. often homophobic, mm. you know, implications mm. to it. And that does not speak back to the treatment, the way in which people treat each other. Absolutely. So we can treat each other in relationships very badly and then it's all of a sudden it's okay mm. by saying, I love you. Well, actually, no, it's not okay. Leonie, that's all we have time okay. for today, but thank you very much. You're doing some fantastic work. Mm-hmm. I hope to get over to the public lecture this afternoon. Enjoy the rest of your trip. Right, thank you. Thank it's you. Thanks for listening and we look forward to sharing all of our CSU stories with you. For more information on CSU stories, go to news.csu.edu.au.